0: So welcome to this webinar, which we're going to call Team Dynamics. Thank you to Simone for uh, suggesting this one. Uh, A really, really good topic uh, for this time of the year, as all of us are kind of moving into our planning and our thinking for what we're going to do next year. And a lot of us are in kind of planning mode and trying to figure out what kind of resources we need to do the things that we need to be doing. So this is a really pertinent timing. And hopefully, um, as we start to explore things like um, preferences of the people we work with, uh, their kind of natural preferences, and that's going to be a really important one here, uh, but also the skills and there's sort of the hierarchies within the organization, um, the kind of skills that the people around us have, um, the kind of purpose, really, that we have in terms of actually coming together as teams and as uh, individuals uh, to serve uh, the particular goals and objectives that we have. And um, also things like now very, very relevant inclusion and diversity. Uh, and those things are very, very different as we'll explore. So there's some things in here which are kind of subtle, but very, very important to get the dynamics of your team right. So if you are um, looking to be managing uh, a project team, maybe uh, you're given responsibility for doing uh, a particular campaign or product launch or some kind of initiative, then all of this applies. Um, As you become more and more senior in the roles um, that you have, um, all of this applies. Uh, If you're looking to be part of a team and you're contributing to somebody else's team, all of this applies. So there's going to be some things in here that we can touch on that will be very much for you if you're leading a team, um, as you start to kind of understand how the team works around you. But also, if you're a team member, it's very, very important to know that when you're a team member, you are a super important part of that team, and you can help to guide it. So even though technically, your title might not be team owner or project manager, you can start to play a very, very significant part uh, in this process. And that's a really important way of thinking of this. um, Because as we start to build the importance of team dynamics and all the things that we do, we realize it's actually, it's just great two-way communication. So what we're looking at here is how humans interact, some of the things that, and the little subtle things that you can spot to find out how people would prefer to interact with you. And of course, this is communication and interaction, uh, quite an intense level when we talk about, you know, business teams and commercial teams, trying to work together to either solve a problem meet a particular goal, um, or literally just cohabit a particular workspace. So all of these things are going to apply uh, to us as we go forward. Now, there are some really, really key things that I want to cover here. And the very first one for me, over and above everything else is the most important one. Now, I don't know whether this is because I was Uh, Doing way way back many many moons ago, um, a psychology degree, and I just got really interested in the whole kind of way that humans interact by their own sort of psychological preferences. I don't know whether it's that I've kind of grown up with that at the back of my mind, or whether just as a a team member, team player, team leader, manager, leader, um, and also you know part of a a very kind of multidiscipline team over many years, um, I've just kind of seen this stuff play out really nicely. So this is one I really want to kind of hone in on because it's really important. And this is the topic of understanding personal preferences. So this isn't about skill set. This isn't about job title. This isn't about level of seniority. This is about the real kind of human element of working within or as part of a team. Now, the role of preference is really important because this will impact fundamentally on how you and others will communicate. Uh, It's going to impact on your work styles um, and the kind of sort of way to set up a team to get the best impact and the best um, effect. And when things don't go quite so well, because we've all been part of teams that have been a little bit of a bumpy ride or have gone, you know, fundamentally wrong, this is a great way of starting to explore how to resolve conflict. Because every team, we're human, every team, even the teams who, you know, are made up of best buddies who get on really well, at times will fall out, there will be conflict. It is just human nature. So we've got a couple of tools um, that you can go away and explore um, after this. Um, One that's very, very popular is something called DISC, D-I-S-C. And it's not one I'm going to go into now, but if it is um, something that is of interest, this particular topic, go and look at DISC, I C. Uh, D-I-S-C, uh, which is a, a, a way of constructing teams based around um, preferences and profiling. But my favorite one, um, my wife actually is a, an MBTI Myers-Briggs uh, consultant, so she actually has a, a, a lot of experience in this one. So we kind of talk this language a lot at home. Uh, it might sound a little bit sad, but it is a really interesting thing in terms of profiling others and you can also profile yourself. Um, so the MBTI, and again, you can do some research on this, and I can share with you some uh, some links, um, and I, I'll share those at the end if, if that's of interest. Where you know, I've actually got a video of um, Sonia actually uh, profiling me. Uh, we've done the um, the part one, which is a very kind of high level personal preference uh, profiling, and then we've gone deeper into the level two, which is much more kind of profound, if you like, and you get to really understand a lot about yourself and how you interact with others. So it's a very powerful indicator. But the MBTI is all about uh, profiling preference types. This isn't personality types as such, but it's how you prefer to be in the world. And it comes across in four different elements. The first one is introversion and extroversion. So when you're starting to think about your role in a team and how other people interact with you, introversion and extroversion is not the uh, common sort of misperception of, oh, extroverts are loud and introverts are quiet. It is actually how you get refueled. So how do you refuel yourself? How do you and how are you energized? So if you're energized as an introvert, it comes from within. So you like quiet time and space to reflect and a time to refuel by yourself. If you're an extrovert preference, you like to be around others to refuel and to um, gain energy. So you will see that playing out in teams. It's a really key one, because what you probably don't want if you're setting up a team and to get a nice even balance, and we'll talk about balance in a minute, is you don't want a load of introverts and you don't want a load of extroverts. What you need is probably a balance, but to kind of be very, very conscious and aware of that difference. So giving introverts time and space away. So for example, if you had a team away day and you were all going off to some hotel you're going to have, you know, big kind of sort of team building thing. Um, For the extroverts, that's incredible. That's so empowering and refueling. For introverts, you've got to give them space in between particular sessions, because they will not get fueled. They get very tired by constant interaction with others. Doesn't mean they're any weaker, doesn't mean they're any less of, you know, people. This is just a preference style. And it's an indicator of when you see people flagging in teams and when you see people getting very animated. It could could be because of the I and the E. So the introversion and the extroversion. So that's the first of these, these kind of pairs, if you like. The second one is the pair of intuition and sensing. So this is basically where um, you uh, have a preference here for being um, sensing if you like to see things uh, kind of in lists, very systematically laid out, um, and you see the practicality in that list, whereas uh, an intuitive person, again, no better, no worse, uh, but will view that list in terms of the opportunity and the storytelling behind, well, what's behind those items? What goes deeper into those items? So an intuitive person is looking for the meaning in things. The sensing person is looking for the practicality or the logical nature of those things. So again, getting a nice balance gives you a very sense A very clear sense here that a team with an intuitive person and a sensing person would kind of get a different perspective maybe if you were set a a series of challenges or some goals. Some people will look at this in a very practical way and others will be looking at it in a much more kind of what's the meaning, the storytelling, the narrative behind these challenges or these goals. So that's the second one, the N and the S, the intuition, and then the sensing. Uh, The next one is interesting, which is the thinking and feeling. So the T or the F. Um, So thinking people, you will hear them actually say, well, I think this or that. And you'll see feeling people say, well, I feel this or I feel that. And so that's often a giveaway. And I've noticed this over time. That's not an MBTI indicator, by the way. It's just what I've personally noticed. But some people are much more aligned with the the kind of the feeling of being within a team and how other people are feeling. You could say there's a little bit of empathy going on there, whereas thinking people are very much more probably more aligned with the task at hand, whereas the feeling people are going to be much more about, well, how how is he or she going to feel if they're given that particular task to do to contribute to the team? So again, balancing thinking people with feeling people would give you this lovely broad perspective of how to take the team working forward. And the final one um, is the J or the P. Uh, So the J is judging and the P is uh, perceiving. Now, judging doesn't mean you're judgmental. okay? So judging people will be people who would much rather get the job done first and then play afterwards, whereas the um, perceiving people are much more kind of spontaneous. They want to play first and then they'll leave the actual work bit to the last minute often. So the nice idea within MBTI here is to balance um, people within the team um, for those being people who are going to be um, kind of, you know, they're very in a kind of sort of planful way. They want to get the the task kind of set up as a bit of a project plan, but they're not really looking for too much spontaneity. Whereas the perceiving people, the P's, are going to be looking for, hey, let's, you know, generate some ideas. Let's not worry too much about the planning. Let's just start to innovate and do some mind dumps of ideas and stuff because that's where the fun's going to happen. That's where, you know, the ideas and maybe the different way of this is team producing an outcome, that's where it's going to be born. So you'll find these different pairs and if you just think about yourself, are you more introverted or extroverted? Are you more sort of sensing or are you more intuitive? Are you more thinking or feeling and are you more planful or spontaneous? So have a little look at MBTI because that will give you a really really nice sense of if you're putting a team together And or think about, again, managing your boss. Think about managing an agency. Think about talking to a colleague. If You can figure out at a very high level the different elements that this other individual might have as you're communicating with them. You can kind of not necessarily mirror them because you might be completely the opposite. You know, I am INTJ, so I'm intuitive, introverted, thinking and planful whereas the opposite to me is ESFP, so an extroverted sensing person who's feeling and spontaneous. And that is the opposite end of the spectrum to me. So I find it fascinating talking and communicating with them because they're seeing the world so differently from me. Doesn't mean they're better, doesn't mean they're less, they just have these preferences. And as Stephen Covey, one of the you know great thinkers on you know psychology within work said, strength lies in differences, not in similarities. So when you're putting a team together, understanding personal preferences, and then not looking to put a team together of people just like you, this is the biggest challenge. We often identify with people like us because it's comfort zone. It's just nice and kind of comforting and maybe a little bit more reliable because we kind of know them because they're just like us. Making sure that you're actually looking at the best for the team rather than just trying to get little duplicates of you. Uh, That is human nature. We totally and totally understand that that's what you're going to probably try and do. We've all done it, but it isn't the best way to get success. So the idea really is to conduct, you know, some kind of um, sort of preference uh, profiling. Uh, You can use obviously DISC or MBTI to kind of do that. Um, But just thinking about the different kind of elements of your team is a really, really important one. And then as you go forward within the team, encouraging open discussions about these differences, these preferences, the work styles, um, kind of how others are interacting with others, just having really open dialogue will help you to kind of manage that because you might make assumptions that aren't quite correct, or you might just not have got that profiling quite right. So by constantly listening, you'll be able to then Get the insights from these tools and then tailor the communication and collaboration as you go forward, as well as helping others to kind of learn en route, because these may well be, as a result of listening to this, something that you weren't aware of. Um, because, of course, this stuff is happening, even if you ignore it. So it is one of these things that is just great to get a little bit of a grasp of it, uh, because then you can start to build um, the, um, the team around these preferences, And then, of course, the second step is to think about balancing professional skills. So at this point, we're just looking at personality preferences. We're just looking at behavioral preferences, but now we need to introduce um, the right kind of skill balance within the team, still talking about balance, And diversity in skill sets, again, is really important. And this is where it's a really good idea to try and infill some of the stuff that maybe you and others aren't quite so strong with. So if you're not particularly creative, particularly analytical, particularly strategic, or not a great delivery completer of projects, then infill those gaps or those weaknesses by people, by putting people into your team who are really good at that stuff. And there will be a load of different... um, tools and uh, sort of platforms that you can use, Um, you know, LinkedIn skills assessments, Um, you can go and do a little search in LinkedIn for that. There's uh, some really, really great stuff in there. Um, And just maybe even as simple as just building a skills matrix for your team Um, and look at the various kind of skills that you feel are important for the team and making sure that not everybody is in that same quadrant. If you do like a two by two matrix, something like the Boston Consulting Group, BCG Matrix, But give it some names different on the axes and see, you know, where people are aligning in terms of their skills. Uh, You might find that actually a lot of people have got the same kinds of skills. So where are the gaps? Conduct a gap analysis. Really, really important. And then plan to develop the team either from within or bring new people into the team. And again, um, there's a really lovely quote from Malcolm Forbes who said, diversity is the art of thinking independently together. So this is all about kind of don't just think about if you're running this team, don't just think, oh, I've got to solve this. I've got to bring it in. Ask for others. If you find there's a gap in skill ask for others and their input, because it might be that somebody wants to and has been thinking about going on that course that will give them the skills that you actually need. So don't make assumptions. One of the big things in balancing professional skills is dialogue. Make sure you're asking people to either step up in a particular area, or actually if they know somebody who's very, very skilled, and again, it could be a third party you need to bring in just for this project, then it's really important to make sure you're not just doing this on, Your own. The whole point of team is there's no I in team. Remember that old cliche? So, as there's no I in team, make sure that you're using all of your team uh, members uh, to give you inputs on this stuff. It's really important that bit. And again, it makes everybody feel really valued. So the tips for success in balancing professional skills are constantly reviewing and updating that skills matrix because, of course, as your project or as your team's needs develop into the future, you might need different skills and different preferences at different points in the project. So it is an ongoing thing. What you needed right at the outset could be very, very different to get you over the line to complete the project. So just constantly looking at that is important, as well as obviously fostering a culture of continuous learning and skills development, because we want to make sure that everybody is, you know, getting something out of this project. And being part of this team, um, you know, at all stages, everybody wants to kind of feel valued, but they also want to get value. So fostering this continuous learning culture is a really great way of keeping people embedded uh, within the team and within the activities that you're doing. So maybe even thinking about cross-training, think about mentorship within the team, maybe bringing in specialists to just maybe give a half hour talk on a particular topic that the team feels they might actually need. And this is just a great way of keeping that dialogue. Remember, I've said dialogue, not monologue. So monologue is where you just tell your team what's needed. Dialogue is where you actually get into conversation. And of course, a lot of the impetus of the team is going to be driven by their feedback and inputs too. So encouraging dialogue is absolutely key. Now, the next thing we want to talk about is hierarchies. You need to figure out, as does anyone who's managing a team that you're within, what is an appropriate for the style and culture of organisation you have, what is an appropriate hierarchy? So sometimes you will have a team leader who in lots of cases will sit at the top of the hierarchy or the family tree uh, and under them will be the specialists, the contributors, the innovators and all the, the various roles that you need within. Within your team, so that would be a traditional hierarchy. But you don't necessarily have to have that. You could have, and you could compare that to a very flat structure where everybody's kind of at the same level, and you're using you know, the various skills or the various preferences to give you know specialist areas that people can then go and consult with. Um, And they then become the specialist for that particular topic. Now, I'm not saying one or other is right, but you'll know based on the style of organization that you have that one or other is going to fit with you. But the key here for effective leadership in whatever style of team you have um, is that it isn't about necessarily being liked. It isn't necessarily about making speeches. It is designed by results, according to Peter Drucker, who is a big, big kind of management consulting guru uh, on the topic of teams and great leadership style. Uh, He's written a lot of books, Really, real thought leader in this one. So, So kind of what he's really telling us here is that you know when we think about leading a team or maybe contributing to a team, irrespective of the structure and style, is that it is all about clarity of role. It's all about clarity of responsibilities within that team. If you're part of a team and you don't really know why you're there, um, often we go into team meetings, don't we? And you just sort of think, well, hold on, why am I here? Well, then that is the responsibility who whoever is the leader of the team or maybe the sponsor of the team to make it super clear everybody's roles and responsibilities so that they can then contribute against that almost like as a little mini or sub job description. So that's really critical here. And also the dialogue building here is on the fostering this, what we might call open door policy to encourage communication across all levels. So that is up and down if it's a more hierarchical structure, but also across the team. What you don't want, and particularly in bigger teams, and I've seen this play out you know way too often is where you get little silos so people who get on particularly well maybe they're sitting together or maybe they just they they know particular topics together better than others in the team and then they start to exclude others and it becomes a little bit cliquey a little bit siloed you need to be fostering a real open door policy so that everybody feels they can go and talk to everybody else within the team if there's any kind of barriers there that is when trouble and conflict begins so it's really important important to be adjusting and reviewing the structure to meet the evolving team needs as much as the personalities and the preferences within those teams. So one of the things that we've kind of mentioned there is the whole idea of, you know, somebody needs to be in charge. So ultimately, the buck stops somewhere. So this is um, a really interesting one, because, you know, as part of a team Everybody will have some kind of accountability or responsibility for that. Um, and if you can collectively build the strategy within the team, everybody then is going to feel like they were part of it rather than this kind of cascade of management where you know it comes from above. You've got to do this and this is how you're going to do it. And nobody feels like they were really kind of valued or accountable for it. They're doing, in effect, somebody else's job. And that's not a great way to get buy-in. So the best way for a manager to get buy-in is to feel like they are communicating as a leader. In other words, honouring and giving real kind of respect to people's, you know, inputs and contributions. So those could be the specialist skills that people in the team have got and allow themselves to be managed by those people, led by those people. I always use the, the analogy of actually flying an aircraft. Really, the manager shouldn't be the one flying the aircraft. That should be members of the team. The manager should be either sat back in uh, in sort of economy class and waiting to be served, or should be the person who is kind of, you know, allowing the, the flight to happen. And they're just there if needed um, to be called upon to make maybe an executive decision or something like that, but give the accountability and the responsibility to the people flying the aircraft, i.e. the team members. And if you can do that and keep your manager informed with regular updates and insights, you know, being proactive, providing solutions, not just raising problems or challenges, then the manager then can start to have that holistic view and then start to take responsibility for reporting how the flight is going. So I'm using that flight analogy because I think for most people, it's quite a simple, straightforward one because you kind of get the plane has to continue flying. So therefore, this thing is not going to stop, but actually, Actually, it's just been done in a slightly different way. So the captain of the flight hands over the responsibility for flying the actual aircraft to others in the team, but then is there if something is needed in terms of support. And so it's a very different way of viewing this and different way of thinking about it. But it's very important. The most successful teams are the ones who really give out responsibility and accountability and allow the team to report back to, in effect, manage the manager. And so what this is doing really is it's harnessing the very best skills and the USPs or the unique selling points that each individual in the team has. And by identifying these unique strengths, because we all, all of us, even if we're not particularly experienced, we all bring our unique set of skills and abilities and attitudes and behaviours and energy to the team. And if we can start to then maybe develop some personal development plans for each individual, and if the combination of those individual development plans combined means that actually, collectively, we've got a team that is is continuously learning, is continuously individually getting better and better at what they do, is feeding all of that stuff into the team, then that is actually proper team. Vince Lombardi said individual commitment to a group effort is what makes a team work. And actually, if you think about the phrase teamwork, the team has got to work. So the team has got to actually be working together. But if it's all identifying with individual personal development that collectively gives this huge group development, then the team is working. And so this is about really conducting one-to-one meetings within the team to discuss development areas, individual strengths, maybe changes in priorities or changes in the things that the individual team members want to do and encouraging the team members to take on maybe parts of the project that align with their newfound skills. So it's a constant living, breathing thing. A team is not just a structure. It's not just what it was at the beginning. It's constantly reinventing itself, re-energizing itself, and hopefully, innovating and by giving people individuals in the team the resources and opportunities for continuous personal development the better value comes out the other end for the team itself so the team can can benefit but also the individual within the team as well And of course, if you can align that with a definition of the team's purpose and goals by setting really smart objectives up front, so everybody knows, okay, there's the bigger picture, that's where we're headed. And you often see this, you know, you, you can kind of spot a really good leader, if you like, of a team or a really good department head by the fact they don't actually have to manage, by the fact it just seems really effortless, by the fact that everybody seems to just like them and want to go the extra mile for them? Well, often the answer is because they are not just giving the outputs, they're actually developing a strategic plan to achieve goals. They're creating a roadmap. They're actually allowing everybody to align themselves naturally with a broader objective, a broader purpose, a broader goal. And they can then step back and say, okay, and now I'm here to support you. I often like to kind of switch that hierarchy that I was talking about before, where, you know, you could imagine like a triangle with, you know, the team leader at the top and then everybody else under them. The best kind of leaders who run teams like this, which are so energizing, such a great thing to be part of, they flip that triangle upside down. So the team is above. And actually the leader is sat underneath supporting them. So the inverted triangle, as it were, with the pointy bit at the bottom where the leader is supporting the people above. Because often those people are at the coalface. Those people are talking to the rest of the business. They're talking to customers. They're making things happen. So they're the ones who the leader needs to support. So I love this whole idea of hierarchy inverted, because actually the most successful teams always have been like that. And by doing it that way, you can regularly review and update the team goals to keep them relevant and challenging. You can, you know, engage the team in goal setting to ensure that buy in and commitment that I talked about before. And as long as then you're monitoring progress, sharing it back with the team, so everybody knows how things are, you know, contributing and how you're moving in those milestones to get to the end goal, it maintains that motivation that all of us want to feel as being part of a team or as leading a team. So a lot of this is not rocket science, but it is just really carefully thinking through how can I do this better? And of course, one of the things that we've seen emerge in recent years as a really key kind of game changer, if you like, is embracing diversity and inclusion, and particularly within marketing and communication teams. So, there's a real value in thinking not only about skills, not only about preferences, but I wanted to bring this one in because diversity in terms of culture. Gender experience perspectives will bring a real value and a real richness to the team if you can. Um, Inclusion strategies, creating an inclusive environment where all voices are heard, and not just heard, but valued, really properly listened to. That's really key. Um, I love this phrase from Werner Myers who said, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. Just think about that one for a minute. Diversity is being asked to the party, and inclusion is being asked to dance. That's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, the, the tips for success on this one are actively, proactively recruiting and promoting diverse talent within the team. I mean, that goes without saying, and it is something that is you know very much at the heart of you know current onboarding and recruitment. Um, but then beyond that regularly conducting diversity and inclusion training for all team members. So everybody not just behaves properly, but gets real value from diverse team membership and inclusion and actively asking others to dance within the team and really trying to get those voices heard and valued. So you can get you know, a real kind of safe, if you like, open dialogue that encourages because it truly values diverse perspectives. Because if you only have one flavour of every perspective, you're only ever going to get one flavour of outcome. And that might not be the most valuable outcome you could think of. And of course, if you do this, you may not need the final point here, which is conflict resolution. And this is a big, big key one, because as I said right at the start, one of the things that you'll undoubtedly get at some point in this journey will be some kind of conflict. So the key for identifying conflict is to understand the common sources of conflict in marketing teams. And generally, these are going to be things like resource allocation. Hey, I'm too busy. So I'm now not happy. You've overloaded me. And what about that person over there? They're not doing as much as me and they're being rewarded more than I am is often something we hear, don't we? You might have felt it yourself. Um, So fairness and balance is going to be really important. Um creative differences, often a bit of a thing within marketing and communications where, you know, I don't believe in that. I don't like that. Or your boss says, well, actually, I don't like the color of that. Well, it's irrelevant because we've done this for the customer. But then, of course, the conflict starts because, well, I'm the person who's signing it off. So you'll do as I say. And then the conflict begins. Um, and workload distribution. So that is obviously a really important one, is making sure the right people are doing the right things at all times. So you can use things like the Thomas uh, Kilman model. Uh, Again, go and do some research for that one. If you want to find some uh, conflict resolution models, uh, that's a very, very good one. Nice and simple, very, very user friendly. And really, it's about proactive management and resolution. You know, Ronald Reagan was once uh, meant to have said peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. So no matter whether you're the team leader or you're part of a team, it's so, so important to know that if you stay level headed, if you stay calm and collected, if you open up the dialogue again, often. Yeah, that is the way to handle conflict. It's by peaceful means. It's about opening up to really properly, actively listening and making sure that everybody within the team has a route to uh, address a challenge or an issue that they might have before it becomes something bigger. And of course, eliminating the silos, making sure you don't have little sub teams or cliques within the overall team is a key one to keeping that dialogue open, as we've said earlier. And ultimately, we're looking here at creativity and collaboration. I mean, there are many, many ways you can start to kind of get energy within the team. I mean, if we're talking about team dynamics, as we are here, one of the key things here is to get dynamism within the team. So you can foster creative environments, even if you're not in a particularly creative environment, you can find ways of creating a conducive environment to get new ideas in. So it might not be creative in terms of output, but we always wanna be seeing innovation within the team. Um, You might want to introduce simple tools like mind mapping. Um, You could use things like the scamper technique. Loads of different um, ideas for um, doing mind mapping and getting ideas out onto the table. Not every idea is at the highest value. Not every idea is going to be taken on. But just allowing people to be able to share ideas and get them onto the chart is really, really important. And collaborative sessions are also key for this, uh, particularly if you're going to be using mind mapping because getting everybody involved, maybe at the end of a a team or um, planning meeting if you're running a project, is just open up a little bit of free space time where people can kind of just be a bit more creative, a bit more innovative and share some ideas. So even if it is a project process type meeting, giving yourself some time to just open up and share out of the box ideas without judgment. encouraging a little bit of risk taking. I mean, your team might be, you know, super planful and everything, but just a little bit of spontaneity might open up a new way of considering something that could save resource, might do something a little bit faster, could be just a little bit more efficient. So in every environment, there's an opportunity to become a little bit more collaborative, a little bit more creative in the broadest sense of the word. And of course, the final, final thing is about using technology. We're all currently grasping or grappling with uh, things like AI, et cetera, et cetera, to kind of really help our team's productivity, uh, create content and all of those kinds of things. So there are many, many ways that you can actually leverage technology to increase the efficiency within your team. You probably have already got some technology within there. Um, But making sure you've got the right technology to enhance team communication, collaboration and project management those are the real key areas here you know so for efficiency maybe even simple tools like slack to help with communication Um, you can use things like asana for project management and if you need to just simply organize tasks into an order uh, and keep on top of them with everybody's um, having visibility to it then things like trello can be a very simple tool to do that But the key is to keep up to date with tech trends. If you stay updated with the very latest marketing technologies and trends, you'll always know if there's something coming that might be even better than what you're using today. Okay, so um, Sean Garrity said um, that the uh, technology you use impresses no one. The experience you create with it is everything. So you can decide back office. We're talking a lot of back office stuff here. You can decide what suits you. Customer never needs to know. People outside your team don't necessarily need to know. But choosing technologies that are appropriate to the size of your team, how complex it is and the workflow, even if it is just a simple Google share drive, you know that might be enough. Um, but something that is this collaborative central area that you regularly review and update is really, really important. And making sure that, you know, you listen to others if there's anything uh, that somebody comes along with and says, hey, could we try this one out? Because I think it might be a little bit better for where our team has got to now. That is going to be important and, you know, really essential for making sure your team can you know, be its most efficient, be its most collaborative and communicate in the best way going forward. So the final leave behinds I want to kind of leave you thinking about here is that if you're thinking of being a better team member or running a team into the future and you're doing this as part of your planning right now is embrace and leverage diversity. That is going to be a real game changer for you if you haven't really thought about that and just think about those different perspectives that you're going to be able to harness. Balance skills and encourage learning. Even if you don't think you can do it all now, somebody in your team is likely to want to step up and learn the stuff that might already be a gap. So figure out who it and is. Let's talk about that. Prioritise communication and conflict resolution. Remember, the open door is key here. Um, Prioritise communication, keeping everybody updated at all times. Everybody should have the very latest version of everything so that they all know and can speak with confidence. They're working from the latest status that your team is working to. So it just keeps everybody up to date. And of course, you can do that by harnessing appropriate technologies so that you've all got the right stuff in the palm of your hand at all times. And then ultimately setting clear goals aligned with individual strengths. So everybody feels that they are in the right place, providing the most possible value they can, and that they are continuously contributing more and more, better and better. More and more effective as your team kind of dynamics go forward and improve, but also then as the individual inputs to that team improve at the same time. So, really, what you're looking for here is a win win win. And ultimately, that's kind of really where you need to get to as you're thinking about team dynamics. So I hope that's been useful for you, whether or not you are a team leader or you're going to be running some projects coming up or whether you're a team participant and you're thinking, actually, I need to manage my manager better. And there's a few little ideas in there. But actually, if it is just purely about understanding how others preferences can impact on communication with you as you're working in collaboration, then that is also a good place to start. And I hope you found that useful as well. So good luck with your team dynamics and uh, yeah, I wish you every successful planning what you're doing uh, over the coming 12 months.